it is the gardening program here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. Pour it, good, good morning. morning good morning. Good morning, Tierja. What a beautiful today. week. Wasn't I, it fantastic? Honestly, yesterday I took a walk uh, at around lunchtime and it was just glorious. Isn't and it you come fantastic? Back to work and you're just that little bit more refreshed. And Absolutely. Ready Re-energized. For another few hours anyway inside, but hey. it was just, yeah, the whole, but the whole week is The whole really week has been fantastic yeah. and we can see the plant growth certainly responding to that. Can't you see it? Absolutely. Yeah. I even noticed this morning, uh, and it was a little darker, and you're not quite as blue sky as yet anyway today, but you, just that lushness has come into the country. It sure does, yeah. Whether it's fields or whether it's hedgerows or, Everything or is, gardens. Exactly. It, it's all just really coming into in, into bloom literally at this point. You point. can't beat that little bit of heat and there's still so much moisture in the soil you see we're getting really accelerated growth as well and lots of plants coming into flower as well the lovely lilacs beginning to flower which are beautiful at the moment highly scented laburnum just on the just point has, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lovely tree across the road from me and it is just Absolutely. Ready to burst. It, well, forward. it's kind of there actually. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah, yeah. 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 Really well, gorgeous. Yeah, so so many plants have, have come in to grow. But to start the program, you know, thinking about gardening, and, and people often ask me about my dad, Sean Hork, and he'd be relatively well known in, in Castle Bar. And, and anytime people, they, you know, how's your dad? How's your dad? And at 83, he's still. The I always say to people, he's like a watch. He's taken away there nicely. But, um, and I always put his good health down to gardening. He's got a great uh, love for gardening. Mm-hmm. His mother was a great gardener as well. But tonight, he... he and uh, In 1982, I think, if memory serves me, or, yeah, in 1982, he was the... Or 1992, I should, should say. He was the manager for the Irish Boxing Club or the boxing team in the Olympics in Barcelona. Oh, wow, okay. So that was the year that we won the uh, gold and silver yeah. with, with Michael Carruth. Yeah, uh, so, so my dad was actually the manager of, of that team. But tonight he actually manages another Irish boxing team. And they're, uh, he asked me just to mention it tonight. So his team take on India in an, in- an international boxing event in the TF Royal. Um, and, and the TF has always been used for great boxing events down through the years. So this Irish team has actually um, been coached by Bernard Dunn and uh, they're in preparation for the Olympics in 2020. So it's kind of, I suppose... A precursor. Uh, a a precursor, that's yeah. the word. What do they call to, it? Kind of a friendly, but not quite. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. A friendly event, but but uh, but 12 good bouts um, is kicking off in the TF Royal. So if people are interested in boxing, amateur boxing in particular then it's going to be a great show tonight and uh, it's a great moment for him as well at 83. Absolutely. Still managing, Wonderful. still a huge interest in boxing and uh, so I wish him well. Uh, but that, if people are interested in boxing as so many people are, that's going to be a great event in the TF Royal. Uh, so it's Ireland versus, versus India. India. Brilliant. 12, 12 bouts and, and 12 outstanding bouts by okay. all accounts. So it and sounds really what, exciting. Do you know what time that starts at the same time? It, well, I think doors open around 6.30. Okay. So I presume just after 7 it'll probably begin and, and uh, it'll take the evening anyway to to have 12 bouts contested. So that's something to look forward okay, to. Well, Sean and all of the team, yeah, the very we best wish them well. We, we surely wish them do. well. We surely do. Yeah. Now, you have a busy weekend as well this weekend. We have, well, well, certainly on uh, Tuesday, next Tuesday, we have, again, I'm going to, I'm speaking of Bloom next weekend. Mm-hmm. So I thought, again, as a precursor, okay. I would give my Bloom talk uh, to here in, in, in Castlebar in Turlock in our garden centre at half seven. So this Tuesday evening, 7.30 in the Garden Centre in Turlock. I'll be giving a talk on blooming baskets and creating colour in your garden with patio containers, uh, hanging baskets, window box, all of those sort of, the kind of hints and tips on how to get the best from your 
containers this year and what plants to put in and some tips in terms of what plants to use, the compost to use, the fertiliser, all those kind of... And I suppose now, Porek, that things weather-wise really have picked up. Um, you can really see those baskets if people you particularly have kind of put in baskets a little bit early and yeah. they've been minding them, whether it's inside in greenhouses or just exactly. in patios. Uh, there is that burst of growth is coming They've there jumped as well. out yeah. of the ground I, I've, I've, every year I do a number of baskets for uh, 44 baskets for the Turlock community uh, ourselves and, and Charlie Shaw do a joint venture there for them and I have them in the tunnel at home and in the last week 10 days they've literally just filled up beautifully mm. they're coming into flower now at the moment so it's uh, this is the time of year for hanging baskets window boxes patio planters in general so if people are free it's a free talk 7.30 in our Turlock Centre in Castle Bar this Tuesday coming and um, I'll be going through a slideshow and also a practical demonstration. And again, if people want to bring a couple of baskets with them or window boxes, again, I'll certainly do do them up free of charge for them. Now, again, I, I'll only do three or four yeah, on the time. evening. Yeah, but so that's this Tuesday, seven thirty in the Turlock Centre in Castle Bar, and um, it'll run through till about nine o'clock. And uh, it's a free event, so so come along. It'll give me a good practice run to, to oh, the yeah. Bloom session. Because he really needs yeah. it, <laughs> Well, speaking of Bloom, yeah. I was actually there on Monday. So um, how are things shaping it's before? It's great. And it was actually uh, my first time getting a behind-the-scenes um, account and view of all that goes into Bloom and putting it together. So the 20 show gardens were being constructed whilst it was at Bloom. And, I mean, the guys were there in the heat putting all the, you know, doing the walls and the ponds. it was beautiful week in some ways if you were at uh, fairly heavy work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you'd kind of... Uh, and the pressure was yeah. certainly on, you was know, because, okay? oh, absolutely. Deadlines I mean, are deadlines. They're great things in one way. Borbia certainly makes sure that the, the standards in gardening are uh, to a very high stand- level and they check daily to make sure that the progress is, is um, yeah, on target. Checking. Yeah, or ahead of target because obviously it, it needs to all come together very quickly. So the gardens have to be finished by this Monday, this coming Monday, so they're, they're working right through this weekend. But last Monday, a lot of the hard landscaping was done. Um, all the walls were built, all the kind of timber structures, the ponds were going in. But there's some particularly nice gardens. And um, So how many show gardens do we know have we this year? Well, there's there's 20, 20 show gardens, yeah. you know, But bo- ver- various sizes. Various sizes, right? yeah. So there's, there's approximately eight or nine large gardens. I mean, really, really nice gardens. Um, for example, there's one from Bordiskiwara, which is um, the Sustainable Seafood Garden. I was particularly taken by that. It's designed by Andrew Christopher Dunn. He reminded me to use his middle name. Okay. But um, it's beautiful. They've actually built two piers. So two, uh, yeah, boat piers, wow. right? Sea, seafaring piers, yeah. a beautiful stonework. Uh, kind of a throwback to the old traditional pier that you'd see out in Clare Island or in Ishboffin and then more, you know, um, modern pier as well. And they're actually going to put, put a boat into the uh, garden yeah. and in the boat they're going to cook seafood dishes right through the, the, the five days. So the celebrity chefs coming along to cook the best from the ocean, Whilst at bloom fabulous. in the garden, but the planting was was very nice as well. Andrew's done a, a superb job. That's a particularly nice garden. It, it really took my eye. Um, there's also quite a nice garden. The um, our children's our ladies' children's hospital crumbling garden, which again is designed by Anthony Ryan and Kieran Dunn. And I interviewed Kieran um, for a piece that that we're doing. Uh, but again, beautiful garden, very tranquil. They've built a, a large overhead covered structure which is going to be completely planted with um, 
double daisies of all things. It's so he described it as a lady's bonnet, but it's actually oh, it's so, huge. So the daisies are on top. All on top, and you're sitting in under it, and there's lovely so, stone. Okay, so it's like a roof. Uh, it's like a roof, roof garden, a roof message. garden, but it also acts as a structure to keep it it all weather. Mm-hmm. And they've used quite a lot of Donegal stone and Donegal slate in, in the and and the planting is going to be lovely as well. Um, r- again, an exceptional garden was one called A Different Look which is designed by Oliver and Leah Schurman um, a German couple uh, who have a great nursery in, in Dublin but they have built a traditional uh, work studio so it's an office built into a garden and it's all glass so as you sit in your office looking out you're surrounded by planting by trees by Japanese maples by beautiful planting it's a really uh, modern feel but it's it's kind of using the workspace and the garden space and tying the whole thing together okay. so that's a very interesting garden as well and the other one I liked is uh, a, a garden uh, by Alan Rodden and Alan I would I generally visit his garden every year but he's a garden called Life is Rosé and it's um, <laughs> sponsored by Santa Rita, the wine company in, from Chile. Um, but again, lovely Mediterranean garden, really bright colours, lovely contrast to the other gardens. Uh, Mediterranean type planting as well, a lot of agaves and uh, those kind of succulent type plants, yuccas, all of that type of planting as well. So look at this, there's actually something for everyone. So you've got the large gardens, you've got the medium gardens, you've got the small gardens, and then you've got what they call postcard gardens, which are literally just small, maybe two metres by six metre size, tiny little gardens. There's 13 of those. So there's actually 33 gardens at Bloom okay. this year. And Twi- the postcard gardens are a great idea because it does give one a sense of what can be achieved in a small space. In a very small mm. space. And that's what I actually took from, from last Monday was that how quickly a garden can be put together so, I mean, literally, they were, they're working for the with last two weeks. With manpower now, With sure. manpower yeah. and resources and so on. But, you know, they can transform a <laughs> you space. You have to have someone to do the digging <laughs> you, for. You sure do. <laughs> but within a relatively small time, like they had literally four or five days to do the planting and there'd be absolutely a very high standard. Um, but also the different style of gardening and the different ideas. And if people are looking for ideas for their own, their own garden, Bloom is the place to go because there's really something for everything for everyone. If you're into water gardening or if you're into very fancy planting or formal planting or informal planting as well. There's a garden there to suit and you'll get fantastic ideas. I always do every year I go there. And there's so many good causes there as well from um, the, the Crumlin Children's uh, Hospital yeah. to to lots of lots of different char- charities, hospice, and all those are, are are represented. So remind us again, then when does it all kick off? So it kicks off now. I'm actually doing a a, a call with Tommy here on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, right. uh, around half nine, direct from Which Bloom. Which is sort of preview day, as such. It's the, it? it's the media day. Media day it's yeah. the day that you should be there as well. But it's the day before Bloom. I have to talk to my my weekday employers about that. <laughs> so so we get in to see the gardens before uh, the public um, come along. So it's a really great opportunity yeah. to see the gardens completely finished without the crowds there so that's Wednesday I'll be doing a live link with Tommy and I'm just reviewing again some of the top gardens that are there and giving people a feel for what, what else is going to be there at Bloom but it kicks off then for the public on Thursday the 31st of May and it runs right through to Monday, Monday. the 4th of June which is Bank Holiday Monday it's open 9 till 6 every day and uh, my mother actually reminded me that there's a free shuttle bus from Houston Station to Bloom and it's a great way to travel. Go up on the train, get the shuttle bus or walk because it's, re- it's a relatively short walking distance to Bloom. And um, it's, a, it's a fantastic day out, not just for the gardens. I mean, if you have no interest in gardening, there's food, there's music, 
there's so many other things going on. The Victorian Garden is, is there right beside the uh, the display gardens as well. And that's worth a visit if you're into your vegetables and your fruit and your herbs. That's the walled garden. It's the walled Victorian Garden. I was there on Monday. It's absolutely stunning at the moment. It really looks so well. Um, and the Phoenix Park is is fantastic facility anyway. It just is. To, a, yeah. So there's, there's so much going on and children are free. So children are free um, and there are still plenty of tickets available on Ticketmaster. Okay. wasn't aware of the shuttle bus, so that's a great idea as well. Yeah, so there you go. So Bloom, yeah, and hopefully the, the weather is going to be really good as well. I, I suppose what I saw a lot in particular was the whole thing around cottage gardening. Is that, I was going to say, still are, involved. are there trends, you know? Very no, much. That's, that's that, still a yeah, thing at the minute. It is really all the, you know, they're using all the traditional things like the lupins, the peony roses are in flower, lots of hostas being used, and um, the lilacs that we talked about, mm. uh, laburnum trees, wisteria, the beautiful wisterias, they're in flower at the moment. They're fabulous on, on the gardens at the moment. So it's a lot of that kind of traditional um, gardens that are plants that, that we can grow in our own gardens um, You know that do really well in an Irish climate. So um, lots of really, really nice planting, but very, very much the old cottage garden plants, lavenders. Okay, which, is, which is good to see because, you know, sometimes I suppose it's wonderful to have events like Bloom and I caught little bits of Chelsea on during yeah. the week um, in the evening um, and, you know, they are extraordinary uh, undertakings as such in terms of gardens sometimes so one kind of sometimes thinks, oh well, it is fabulous but I'd never be able to do something like that but when you do break it down and see what plants are being exactly. used, of course you can. It might, doesn't have to be necessarily on that scale by yeah. any means but the inspiration and the ideas are there and that's really what it's all Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And, and some gardens, particularly the, the uh, Crumlin Children's Garden, 100% of the plants are used in that garden are Irish grown by Irish nurseries. So they're, you know, they're, so they're, they have that old... Yeah, it's a big Irish focus. It, it, I mean, it really is. I know it is a board event, so obviously it is promotional in that context, but yeah. it's great to see what is being done yeah. on the island itself. Absolutely. And there is a mix. That Mediterranean garden, the Santa Rita garden, definitely there, yeah. there's a lot of Italian and Chilean plants used on that. So the but, variety is there. Yeah, but for 90% of the gardens, it's Irish grown, Irish nurseries, Irish produce. So go and enjoy and get a few ideas along yeah. the way. Of uh, things from all sides, Porrick. Um, one that came in during the week, um, a query in relation to rhubarb. Mm-hmm. Um, I've rhubarb planted two years timberly early. I have not harvested, I've harvested 10 sticks, but it looks like it's dying. I've given it water. Would there be any pests that would attack rhubarb or would you have any suggestion what might be wrong with the plants? Well, the key thing with rhubarb, tim- timberly early is an excellent variety because it, as the name suggests it, you can harvest it very early in the season normally March, early April um, now the thing with rhubarb is you remember that you're harvesting the leaves and you're harvesting the stems you're robbing the plant of the, the ingredients that give it energy mm. so it, it photosynthesizes through its leaves so feeding with, with rhubarb is very important and they really need high organic matter so they need something like farmer manure or mushroom compost or an organic matter now you can actually purchase that in bags and that should be mulched on during the winter period winter early spring so December January February put on as a heavy layer to really feed rhubarb Um, and it sounds to me like the plant is just hungry to be honest the second thing that it needs is lots of moisture now we've had plenty of rain over the autumn and winter period so I doubt it is unless it's on the underhang of trees or it's in competition with other plants it it doesn't sound like a moisture problem it sounds to me like it just needs a good feeding so I would rest it for this year don't harvest any more 
uh, sticks from the plant, liquid feeders. So get you, again, you get yourself a couple of bags of the organic farm manure compost. You can mulch that in around the base of the plant and give it a couple of liquid feeds as well. Um, something like the Osmo Universal liquid feed. Any liquid feed really will will help to boost it up and drive it on and build it up. And that's really what you need to do with rhubarb for the first couple of years is get the strength into the plant, feed it well, particularly in the winter, early spring period, and Timberley early will perform. They don't really suffer pests and diseases. Sometimes it gets a bit of slug and snail damage, mm. but really it's more to do, I think, here with the the lack the, of organic the, matter. Right. And, and, and you need to feed them. When you think about it, you're literally taking the leaves and the stems off the plant. It's like pulling all the leaves off a tree. Eventually you're going to weaken the plant. So they need to be the plenty of feeding. Boost. Plenty of feeding. Now, uh, somebody's heading out to thin carrots in the tunnel, uh, wondering what to put on them once they've finished. Uh, particularly, they're looking to put preventative measures in place for the carrot, carrot. root fly or the white root fly. Yeah, the carrot root fly. Something yeah. safe, please. So the carrot root fly normally attacks carrots from any time from May onwards, and particularly in tunnels, it'll, it'll attack them that little bit earlier. And particularly when you're thinning the plants, obviously you're excreting the scent, so the carrot root fly zones in on that and lays the eggs. So two two treatments you can use. There's actually a liquid uh, root fly treatment. It's made by Unichem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's available. It's a small bottle. It's actually based on garlic. So it's 100% organic. You mix it in a watering can. You simply apply it onto the foliage and, and ground around the carrots. And that helps to kill and both control uh, carrot root fly and cabbage root fly. It's very effective on all of those. And the other treatment you can use, which again is organic, are the nematodes. We featured them last week. They'll control wireworm, leather jackets, um, vine weevil, uh, carrot root fly, cabbage root fly, all of those pests. So either of those. Okay, great. Now, um, somebody is wondering, is bark good to suppress weeds around rose beds and how often would it need to be replenished? Should it be done every year? Well, it should be topped up every year. So if if you put on, say, 10 bags of bark, you'd need to put on two fresh bags every year because it's an organic matter and now she's going to decompose mm. and, and rot away and is it a good mulch yes it is it's fantastic really for helping to suppress it keeps the light basically away from the the, the, ground. the, the weed yeah, seedlings yeah. yeah now if you've got perennial weeds there like dandelions or docks they need to be treated first and, and controlled because they've got a strong root structure but once the ground is clean if you put a mulch of bark in under and you can put two to three inches of bark quite a heavy mulch around roses. And can you put it through around any plant uh, as such? Yeah, it, bark tends to look well around yeah. trees, shrubs, roses. The more stronger, bushier, woodier type plants, the bark more, looks more natural and it gives gives quite a good effect. And over time, it will decompose and work its way back into the soil. A question I'm often asked is applying fertiliser. Yeah. There's bark there, well, what do I do? Well, There's absolutely no problem. You simply sprinkle the fertiliser on top of the bark and the rain and the dew will wash, wash it, it in. So it'll wash it through. Now, you can also use the weed barrier mm. as well, mm. first of all. So that can go on first around the roses and then put on the, the, the bark mulch. And that helps to slow down the decomposition of, um, the, bark. of the bark. And again, you need less bark if you're using the plantex or the, the, the weed mm. material as well. Mm. So you can use it on its own mm. on the direct soil or you can use the weed barrier. But yeah, it's a great way. And it helps, bark will also keep the moisture in the soil because you're not, the, plant, the ground isn't losing uh, water by evaporation because the sun is, is kept off Definitely. the actual yeah. the soil. So yeah, bark, and it looks well. And you can get it, it in all, dif- all different grades from a kind of a really, really fine bark, which is very much like, it's nearly like compost. 
It's a composted bark, so it's really, really fine. That looks really well on where you've got small shrubs or you want something very neat and, and tidy around heathers, for example. Or you can go for a more coarser bark, yeah, yeah, around trees and and things. In windy sites, it tends to be better to use the finer uh, bark because it it tends to sit better. And also, maybe you can also use gravel, the the ornamental gravels, Mm. all the different coloured gravels as well. Okay, which obviously doesn't decompose. It doesn't decompose. It's a longer solution, yeah, definitely. But the bark, certainly. And about every every year, put on a couple of bags just to keep it topped up. Just to keep it topped up. It's the time of year to do that. Great. Um, do astromeria plants grow every year if they're planted in pots and do they need feeding to regrow in summer? Yeah, and astromeria is a lovely uh, perennial plant, so it comes back year after year. It is herbaceous, a bit like hostas and lupins, so it dies down in the winter, it disappears. It's it's coming through the soil at the moment, it's probably six, eight, ten inches high at the moment, and they come into flower from the middle of June right through until September late September, early mm. October, Alstroemeria. So they're lovely and they come in a whole range of different colours. They need a bright, sunny location. So again, they're very much on the cottage garden theme. Plant them in groups of maybe threes or fives to get that really strong effect. Um, but a lovely plant, lovely foliage and lovely flower colour um, and very easy to grow. Uh, if they're in pots, make sure you keep them very well watered. They'll be happy in the pots for a, a couple of years, but really they should go out into the garden soil, preferably. They really are a cottage garden plant and need to be planted out. They'll do better in the in the, in garden, the garden soil. But they're perfectly happy in, um, in uh, tubs, large tubs for a couple of years. Great. Now, we have had a letter from John. Um, so John, a little bit tongue-in-cheek for it and spots, but essentially we're talking about rootstock okay. and the different kinds of rootstock yep. for apple trees and how one knows the labelling system okay. um, as to what kind of an apple tree you're going to get, a big small, big apple tree or a small apple tree. And he just, he references that uh, in the UK, um, the, the, the labelling seems to be particularly clear. So yeah. um, wondering, I, do we not use the same system here or how does that work? Well, yeah. So first of all, the root stock is basically what controls the height of the the ultimate height of the tree. So if it, an apple tree is grafted onto a dwarf rootstock, for example, a Malling 9, they all tend to be Malling because Malling is in, in the UK is an institute that actually um, researches apples and comes up with the rootstocks, particularly for commercial growers, the ideal rootstock, depending on how big a tree and how prolific a tree you want to grow. Um, so they're all, you're going to Malling 27, Malling 9s and so on. There's a whole range of different um, classifications, mm. as it were. For dwarf apple trees, the one to go for is Malling 9. And the coronet family, you often hear me recommending the coronet family, which is an Irish um, group. Well, it's an Irish group of apples. There's 13 different varieties within the family of coronet. And... um, so they're all grafted on Malling So when you nines. say the Malling, is the, so the, uh, he references M25 yes. and so, MM106 here. So yeah. that's what that stands so for. So the M, the M stands for Malling, yeah. So the, and they literally start from M, M9s, which are really, really dwarf, right up the whole scale to very vigorous uh, varieties that some of the uh, orchards would look for okay. because they want big trees, big trees, they want something very prolific, very fast-growing and heavy pr- croppers. So you can get literally any sort of rootstock, depending on how vigorous the tree you want. What I recommend for for most gardens is to go for the dwarf rootstocks 
because they, they work so much better. You stake them well. Now, generally speaking, the garden, if you go, with, for example, with the Coronet family, you know that they're all on, or the majority of them are on Malling Nines, which are dwarf, neat, compact um, uh, trees, ideal for pots and containers or for small garden soils. If you want something really strong, go for maybe the M106, which is a good, vigorous rootstock and something larger. Ask in your local garden centre. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to suggest, I yeah. suppose if you're in doubt at all, go and have a chat with somebody who's there. In the garden centre. They'll be able to advise you. And you'll nearly know by looking at the tree because the, the smaller varieties, those that are grafted on the smaller rootstocks, tend to have very short internodes or short stems so there's kind of little bits of growth on them they're quite they're dwarfed mm-hmm. by nature and you'll know by the branch structure they tend to be shorter so you can see the compactness there you already you could absolutely whereas more vigorous varieties you can see the long elongated stems more on the plant space. it looks more vigorous and looks more robust and and obviously it's a more vigorous tree but yeah look it's a really good point make sure that when you're asking in the garden centre if you want a dwarf tree ask for it to be on a dwarf rootstock and it should be labelled, there should be a label on it and it's maybe something we need in Ireland just to look at a little little bit closer closer. So so thank you for bringing it to our attention Clearer with the labelling The point being that you don't end up buying a Shetland pony when you want it at Clydesdale or vice versa. Absolutely. I like the analogy Because an apple tree will live for 40, 50 years Uh, so you want to make sure you you select a tree that's actually going to be fit for purpose. Exactly. Thanks very much for that John. Okay we've got a photograph in Porg actually a number of photographs it's a lawn a big big, quite a big space by the looks of things. Sure is. Um, Probably a bit of a hungry looking lawn just uh, (laughs) on on my glance so they're asking um, spider like weeds in my garden what can I do about them? Yeah so the listener here has a mixture between uh, scotch grass grass, I should say or couch grass as it's often called and wild meadow grass so these are just grasses that seed in from neighbouring fields or hedgerows and uh, they tend to be more vigorous. It's a broader leaf grass. It's spider-like as the, the listener says. It's, it's, it's a lot more upright and more vigorous than your uh, traditional lawn seed. Um, now, the, the difficulty is that there's no one weed killer that you can apply to the entire lawn that's just going to kill that wild meadow grass or scutch grass and leave the rest of the lawn you know, unaffected mm. because they're all grasses at the end of the day. So uh, what I would recommend if the listener wants to control them is regular mowing will certainly suppress the the scutch grass. It doesn't like to be cut on a regular basis, but that means, you know, every five days or four to five days keeping it well trimmed. The other thing you can do is dab on some of the Roundup gel. So you can get the gel. It's a specific treatment that Roundup do. It's, you dab it on to the actual grass, the clump of grass, grass and it only kills bottom. what it touches. Right. Now, that's in a big area. That's a very big yeah, it is, for that. It is. For, for be, I, I would just look at, at the end of the day, it's it's a grass. It will knit into your own grass. You will help to control it by regular mowing. Oh, yeah. um, it dislikes that. And if you want to spot treat in any particular area, you can use the Roundup gel okay. um, to control it. So, it's just it seeds in you're going to have lots of lawns will have that it's, particularly country, it's large, a countryside lawn it is and particularly large lawns that mightn't get cut as often yeah. it tends to favour now I would also as you su- suggest the lawn looks very hungry and you and the listener would be 
advised to, to feed it, to put on a feed now at this time of year. Okay. And give it a, a little bit of greening. Any of the lawn feeds won't force the grass. They'll green them without forcing growth. So it's not going to increase the amount of cutting. And you're not, and you're not feeding do. the scotch grass per se. Well, yeah. well, it's going to benefit from the fertiliser okay, as well. Okay. Yes, it will. <laughs> but it, most of the lawn feeds are designed to feed slowly. So their nitrogen levels are very slowly released back into the soils. They tend to feed for up to two to three months but very slowly. So don't put 10, 10, 20 on or 8, it's 16 or any of the agricultural feeds. Mm. Otherwise, you'll have silage. Okay. You'll have, you know. Okay. So <laughs> a, a proper lawn fertiliser yeah. like the Osmo or one of the traditional park and fairways, another good one. Um, it'll green the lawn without forcing growth. That's, okay. that's the thing to remember. And most lawns will benefit, even if people did feed their lawns back in March and April. Coming into June, it's a good time of year to give your lawn a second... Give, just it a, to give it a little top-up. A up. little top-up, yeah, because we're, we're two, months, two months into the growth, so it's a good idea just to give it a second top-up. Remember, it won't make it, it won't make it jump. It'll just green it. I suppose that's always the fear. That's the it? fear that people yeah. have. And, and I'll be out of the mower three times in the week. Yeah, well, that will happen if you use agricultural fertilisers because right. they're designed in the complete reverse. They're designed to release fast okay. and quickly. Okay, so you've been told. Yeah. yeah. Now, I have a lot of large plastic troughs and boxes. Would these be suitable for growing veg and what veg could I grow? Well, look, at it. They're, they're sound ideal. The main thing is that the containers have drainage. So make sure there's a couple of holes drilled in the bottom, put a bit of stone in the bottom of that, put a good quality compost in and large plastic troughs will be ideal for all the salad crops or so lettuce, uh, radishes. You could sow carrots in them if you want it. Um, any of the cut and come lettuce, the mixed spiced leaves. So pop into your local garden centre. All those plants are available now for planting. It's perfectly fine to plant them out of doors. Mm-hmm. Now you could even sow some seed as well if you want it for any of those salad crops. Chives could be planted now. Even some of the onions can be planted in window boxes as well. Um, so if you have a nice sheltered spot, you could consider maybe planting a tomato plant. So one of the dwarfins like Red Profusion does very well outside. Um, or uh, sweet aperitif is another really nice one. So any of those could be planted, any of those edible plants. And I like to mix, you can mix some edible flowers as well, like the violas or pansies are ed- edible, begonias are edible, the flowers of begonias, um, the flowers of... I know, well, nasturtium is not so much. Nast- well, the nasturtium is. Yeah, the leaf, it uh, is I mean, the, edible, but would you be putting them in a trough? Well, yeah. you, if you go for the dwarf varieties... Yeah. And in my talk on Tuesday evening at 7.30 in Castle Bar, I'll be talking about the use of nasturtiums actually in hanging baskets and window boxes because there's some brilliant varieties like Alaska that you can sow from seed. You literally just put the seed into the basket. It'll germinate in the basket. It'll only grow a foot out of the basket. It's got lovely coloured foliage mm-hmm. and fantastic flowers. And the flowers are edible. And the flowers on nasturtiums are quite fleshy. So you can actually stuff the flower with, with other... With, Goat's cheese or whatever, whatever you want. So there's loads of edible flowers. So why not have in the containers some salad plants, but also lots of flowers as well that are edible. So you're getting you're you're getting full advantage out of whatever it is that you're planting, both um, practical colour and aesthetic. A bit of variety, yeah. 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 My sister's 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 yeah, yeah, the rock roses, yeah, the rock roses seems to have gone all brown. I had six. Four of them are like that. Two have a few green leaves near the top. Are they dead, or should I cut them back, or what should I do? Well, they sound like they've they have moved on. Uh, that uh, they have passed on. <laughs> sisters Sorry, are, Mary. Sisters are the sun roses, the rock roses, and they tend not to be long-lived. So they're a bit like, they're in the family, they're similar to kind of 
lavateria, the mallow plant, or brooms, which once planted will last maybe four, five, six years. And after that, they tend to get tired and they tend to die out. Um, And particularly this winter with the frost we've had, you'll see damage on hebes and cystus and mallows. Um, So I'm not surprised that the plant would have... just to check it, Mary, before you actually take them out completely, you could literally take the stem, just scrape off the bark, see is it green inside or is it gone very woody and brittle. If it's gone brittle, there's no point cutting them back. Mm. That plant has, has uh, died away. And sisters tend not to be. We I advise them as kind of fillers to put them in to fill up gaps for a couple okay. of years so while you're wasting. They're kind of the secondaries rather they than are. the primaries. Yeah, exactly. They're there just to fill up the gaps. Same with the mallows, same with the brooms. See them as, as short-lived plants. If you get four, five or six years out of them, you're doing well. But then, you know, and it's really, they're, they're used to, to allow other shrubs to mature and kind of fill in the gaps. Lovely. Okay, one or two questions there in relation to lawns, and I know we were chatting, Parag, uh, on foot of the uh, photographs that came in about that spider in Scotchgrass. And while you were discussing that, I was thinking, we didn't get an update on the robotic mower. How's it going? It's, it's still, going. Is it's it still whizzing around the garden? It is indeed. It's absolutely working a treat at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely very impressed with it. Uh, whilst I was in Dublin, actually, Monday, I took a, sp- a spin out to uh, Husqvarna, uh, and I met a guy called Andy Walsh, and he's 20 years working with robotic mowers. But whilst I was there, he actually had one of the bigger Husqvarna uh, mowers working within their um, depot. And it was covering probably an acre of ground. And uh, you want to see the lawn. I mean, it was so neat, yeah. so tidy, not a weed in spot in in, in the garden. Um, really, really neat and you know, I got some hints and tips from him on my own more. But yeah, no, look, it's actually, it's working brilliantly. It goes out at night time. Um, tip I got from him was actually to, to allow the mower to cut every day. Yeah. I had actually mine switched to every second day. But uh, this time of year, he was telling me that the grass grows at one sixteenth of an inch. <laughs> Every that's day. A, that's a very precise uh, analysis. <laughs> so there's, and I suppose his point was that the moor is just going out and taking that one sixteenth of an inch off the grass. So it's keeping it maintained at, at the same level all the time. But it's uh, very, very okay. impressed. Well, we're impressed thus far. I yeah, think. I am actually. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll do a video during the week again and uh, just give an update and just show people the lawn and what it's like and, and how it is done. But yeah, no, I'm very happy with it. I mean, it's great. It really is. We have a listener that has uh, treated the lawn with zero. It's all black now, wondering what to do next. Well, the moss has gone black, so that's good. That's a good sign. The zero is working. So the next step of the process is to feed the lawn and put on the Osmo um, lawn fertiliser now. As I said earlier, that will green it without forcing growth. It'll help to encourage new grass to come up through that dead moss. There's no need to rake the moss out unless it's extremely heavy. Um, so I'll get the, get the Osmo on now. It'll give it a lovely greening colour and it'll get the young grass coming through. If there are any bare patches, it would be a good idea to reseed those. If there's any really bare patches in it, mix it with a bit of compost and just brush it into the area. Um, but that's, yeah. yeah. Now, we've a couple of uh, f- pictures in for identification purposes, yeah. Pork. So first of all, a very lush looking garden, a Japanese maple. Uh, the listener wondering, uh, what type is the pink one, please? They're, and they're absolutely beautiful at the moment. Um, there's, a, there's two actually really nice pink ones. One called Coral Pink, so it's Acer Coral Pink, and one called Wilson's Pink Dwarf. If you want a really small, neat variety, they've got lovely, bright pink foliage that darkens later as we, we get into the summer. Uh, but Japanese maples are absolutely beautiful this year. They're, again, when I was at Bloom, there's quite a lot of them being used. They're extremely hardy. 
Mm. People don't think that. They think they're very delicate. Now, they dislike too much wind, a lot of open, exposed sites. But if you've got a sheltered corner in the garden or a sheltered border, then Japanese maples do so well. And you can get varieties that will grow seven, eight feet in height Mm -hmm. or others that will only grow two to three feet in height. Some with large leaves, um, you know, kind of quite uh, compound leaf mm. or some with, with dissected leaves with the leaves kind of lace cap as we call them. They're dissected leaves as well. So great time to plant them. Some with orange foliage, some with green, some with... So you have uh, quite a bit of There's variety. a huge variety and particularly the red leaf varieties like Coral's Pink or Wilson's Pink Dwarf or there's another lovely variety called Blood Good. It's a real port wine colour. If you want a really nice. dark colour, blood good. It's a, it's a really nice variety. Um, so this is the time of year to plant them. They're in garden centres at the moment and, and they're in leaf. So you'll, you'll see the variety that, you know, best suits your own garden. OK, we're moving inside with the next one. It's a plant in a pot, pork. Uh, croton. The croton, okay. yeah. So it's a croton. So it's an evergreen plant, lovely variegated foliage, very easy plant to grow. It's got kind of rubbery so this is Marion leaves. and Affenry, incidentally. Yeah, so um, again, it's a it's a easy plant to grow. Again, this is the time of year to repot it. If it hasn't been repotted, say, in the last two years, it's a good time of year, actually, for repotting most house plants, like rubber plants or Swiss cheese plants or mother-in-law's tongue or any of those. Um, and it's the time that you increase watering and increase feeding. So again, a bit of miracle grow or baby bio. Mm. It's a it's a foliage plant, that particular one, the croton. It's grown for the leaf colour. The brighter this, the location, the more yellow or more brightness you get in the leaf, the darker the location, the more green. But quite an easy plant to grow and, and very colourful. Excellent. Now, a couple of questions in relation to uh, wildflower meadows. Um, somebody just generally wondering if it's too late to sow wildflower seed. And also, uh, somebody is a reclaimed area, don't want to have any more lawn. Could they create a wildflower garden or what other low maintenance options are there? Um, and how does one create a wildlife garden, asks Alvin. OK, well, wow. So... Um, so first of all, is it too late? It's not. This is actually an excellent time of year because if you think about it, most seeds are beginning to germinate or have been germinating over the last five or six weeks and they'll continue to do that. You can see the weeds in your own garden. You can see wildflowers themselves. Uh, lots of them are coming into flower now. will be producing seed during the summer. Mm. So this would be an excellent time to get the soil ready. Ideally, you want it nice and clean to start with. So you really want to get rid of any existing weeds that are there, any grasses, any broadleaf weeds that are there. Get rid of those first of all. Cultivate the soil lightly. Just give it a light raking. Yeah. Put some lime down. So get some garden lime because wildflower seeds love garden lime, like a high pH level. So put a dressing of lime down and then literally just sow the seed. You can buy the little packs of wildflower mixes um, you can buy specific varieties. If you like, for example, red poppies or you like the cowslips or cornflower, you can buy those individual packs and mix them in through the wildflower seed as well. So you get more more of those, more of, more of the varieties you favour. And literally just sow it onto the seed, onto the ground, rake it in. And within a couple of weeks, they'll germinate. Some will flower this year, but mm. the majority will grow as green plants to flower next season. And I always like to plant then in the autumn some spring bulbs in through the wildflower meadows so your snowdrops your crocuses your dwarf daffodils all of those can be planted in the autumn period to flower next springtime because most wildflower plants flower in summer the poppies the cornflowers if you think of all of those the foxgloves they're all summer flowering so you need something that flowers earlier in February and March and April mm. and the spring flowering bulbs cover that what I think particularly for areas that you want to eliminate grass put in maybe a mini orchard 
So put in six or eight apple trees or cherries or plum trees and underneath that have your wildflower meadow. So you're getting the best of both worlds. The, the, the ground has been productive in terms yeah. of fruit trees, but also you're getting the wildflower. Yeah. And to, to talk about the the uh, wildlife. Yes. If yeah, so <clears throat> where, because uh, there's a bit of a difference. Uh, wildflowers are one thing, but wildlife can... Well, it all works together because okay. if you've got... If Biodiversity you've got, in action. Absolutely. And if you've got your wildflowers in, you know, planted and flowering, you're going to have the hoverflies, you're going to have the honeybee, you're going to have all the caterpillars coming in, so all the butterflies will come in and, and feed off those. They love the nectar. You can plant shrubs as well. So there are particular plants like Budleus, Cotoneaster, that the bees and the butterflies absolutely adore. So there's a mixture of of shrubs, particularly anything that berries. It tends to attract hoverflies and honeybees in particular. So things like Toniaster, Pyracantha, mm-hmm. the roan trees, the mountain ash, which are in flower at the moment, white thorn, black thorn, all those that produce berries in the autumn are fantastic for birds because the birds will feed off the bee, off the uh, the uh, berries in the autumn but they're also good for all the insect life during the summer period because they use the the flowers naturally to for nectar and pollen but they pollinate the flowers as well and is it a case then over time that you'll end up with maybe having a couple of hedgehogs and things like absolutely, that absolutely because the hedgehogs feed off the slugs okay so it's all about creating that biodiversity and getting a range of different plants that flower at different times of the year so hence the spring flowering bulbs then the wildflower having your apple trees, maybe some roan trees planted in there as well. So particularly trees that flower and bury are great for bringing wildlife back into the garden. Sunflowers, brilliant for, again, for the honeybees because they'll pollinate them during the summer. But again, the birds will feed off the seed on sunflowers in September, October, November during the winter period as well. So it's about getting a mixture of different plants into the area. But it's a great way to kind of reduce the high maintenance areas by putting a wild meadow grass in and particularly with fruit trees it works really well now a couple of questions on roses so I'm going to group these together as best I can Park. Uh, climbing roses what climbing rose is good to cover a large timber garden arch okay. also um, what else have we got here in relation to roses uh, well, just to cover yeah, that one maybe yeah. first so if you want something very vigorous there's a lovely a very vigorous rose called Albertine. So it's got bronze foliage and it's got big apricot pink flowers, huge big flowers, about the size of a saucer. But Albertine will put on eight to nine feet of growth in one year. So it's a very, very vigorous, perfect for an arch, you know, if you want to cover an area. And I always recommend when you're putting in climbing roses, put in some clematis with them. So there's lovely, the lovely Montana variety, which is in flower at the moment, or any of the summer flowering clematis can be planted at this time of year for colour from the middle of June right through till autumn and they work very well with roses, they're companion planting. Honeysuckles will work really well as well with roses and also the uh, potato vine uh, Solanum Glasnevin or Solanum jasminoides as the name suggests it's jasmine like so these lovely white flowers that flower right through till October. Other good climbing roses, Dublin Bay is a lovely uh, red, scarlet red variety. Golden Showers is a bright yellow. Uh, iceberg is a white climbing iceberg. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of really good varieties. But if you want a vigorous one, Albertine for me is is a really it's slightly scented, bronze foliage, beautiful apricot pink flowers, really easy to grow. Now we have a new rose bush planted. It's got black spots coming on it. Is it starting to die? Well, <laughs> black black spots. So look at it with all roses. And I think I mentioned this last week. Um, when we get this heat, you're going to get aphids. 
you're going to get white fly and you're going to get the start of uh, potentially some diseases coming on roses. So prevention is better than curing the problem. So I always recommend start early, feed your roses as well, put on the rose clearer, the rose rescue every two weeks at this time of year and stop the diseases coming on the roses in the first instance. So it's not going to die. Give it a good feed. Give it a couple of sprays of the Rose Clearer Rose Rescue and it'll be perfectly fine. Remember, roses will flower from June right through to November. So it's all to play for for the rest of the year. Okay. And what type of fertiliser to use on A good rose, rose you go into your local garden centre, get a rose, a rose feed or Osmo Pro 6, shake it around the base. If you want a high potash feed because potash not only induces flowering, it also builds strength. It's like taking an antibiotic for plants. It, it helps them, their immune system against mm-hmm. diseases. It makes them more turgid, um, stronger, better able to resist pests and diseases. So a high potash feed. Okay. So good rose fertiliser. One or two more very quickly before we finish up. I've goji berries in my tunnel. Yeah. Uh, can you dig it up and put it outside? Well, they're in leaf at the moment, so I would leave it until... I thought they just came in packets in supermarkets. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have to be picked from somewhere. So goji berries... I didn't know you could grow them here. Oh, you can, yeah. You can grow them out... very exotic altogether. And they're better outdoors because they'll take up too much space in the tunnel. Okay. So I would leave them until autumn lift them at that stage and transplant them. They're growing vigorously at the moment, so you'll only disturb them and do some root damage. Okay, lovely. Um, also, a couple of quick people wondering about the fact that you're in bloom. Have you have Horkins a stand? Uh, or can well, they, people who met you last year wonder well, when you'll be Come around? and see me, absolutely. Well, remember, well, I'm going to be there media day, but I'm going to be there on my own. Uh, but apart from that, I'm there on Saturday, at, two, at quarter to three, I'm actually giving a talk on the expert stand. So there's a large uh, auditorium in the centre of Bloom in, in one of the marquees. And um, I give a talk there on Saturday, Sunday and Monday. So Saturday, it's a quarter to three. Sunday, I'm there at a quarter to one and, and again at a quarter past two. And then on Monday, Bank Holiday Monday, I'm there from a quarter past 11 and one o'clock. So I'm giving five talks at Bloom this year. Um, so you'll get me there Saturday, Sunday and Monday of this week but I would recommend highly to people if you haven't been to Bloom have a day out and it's a great it's a great great festival and the food alone it's worth going just for the food Okay, it's, um, it's super. I'm sold on that alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great <laughs> anyway. day out. But I'll give a full report to Tommy on Wednesday Great. around 9.30. Yeah, and you will be chatting again anyway. We'll, we'll chat next, next Saturday. Saturday. I'll be here next yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, Don't I worry. Know, I know you're on a busy day on Saturday. Uh, we'll leave it there. I know there's quite a few questions coming in on rhubarb. That's something we might address on the programme next week. Yeah. There's a few people in difficulty. And remember, people can catch me on Tuesday yeah. as well in the garden centre at 7.30 okay. in Turlock and Castlebar. I'll be giving my talk. Lovely. Uh, John sent in a picture in relation to his rockery wondering what does Porrick think of it. I'll show it to you in a moment but okay. John I think it's great uh, that's it from us for this morning uh, stand by Michael Neary coming your way next here on Midwest Radio all going well I'll be back again with you next Saturday just after 7 have yourselves a great weekend good morning to you